She's gone to Israel for a seminar. At least, that's what she tells me. Who really knows who she's with or what she's up to these days? I'm starting to question. Did I ever know? It's occurring to me far too slowly that she can be devious, and clearly has been for some time. I doubt I'll ever know even a modicum of her deceptions, and those doubts make me feel sick whenever I focus on them. As painful as it is, I acknowledge old patterns. So much mendacity, but not in a southern mansion, in a tiny queen's apartment. An early March night a year ago, I'm watching the Mets in spring training, Ben's dozing in his sleeper swing, she's reading. Then the buzz of a text. She reads quickly and blushes like she blushed years earlier when we first swam naked at midnight in the Pacific off Catalina, and I kissed salt water off her neck as she wrapped her legs around my waist, and suddenly the light from a distant shore flickered across our wet hair, and her nipples pebbled, and she blushed. I ask about the text, and she looks up, surprised I'm still in the room, or perhaps surprised I'm still alive. Then she says, school. But her travels do leave Ben with me for a week, an unexpected pleasure. Unfortunately, though, I have work, so I start calling relatives. I can't run my mother into the ground just yet. Ben's only two, so there'll be plenty of times I'll need to call on her. My sister Katie is closest in age to me, just one year behind at St. Rita's for all eight years. More than anything, Katie loves taking Ben for the day. She even bought a car seat for her favorite nephew. So he's hers on Tuesday. She and Chris have no kids, though we all know they're trying, and we all know what a great mom Katie will be. Of course, the universe gives plenty of kids to people who burn them with cigarettes and beat them with closed fists and forget to feed them. So there's that. I wait for her in the food court in the main terminal at LaGuardia. Katie is a voiceover actress and good enough to actually make a living at it, working freelance out of Integrated Services Digital Network Studio right in her apartment. From my selfish perspective, the best part is her flexible schedule just what a primary child care provider needs. She's coming from Manhattan, so if she gets stuck on the Triborough, I'll bring Ben to the tower with me, but it would be the fourth time this summer. I've brought the stroller, and it's a good thing, because Ben is out like a proverbial light. It's funny. A grown man sleeps with his mouth open, and it ranges from disgusting to alert the authorities creepy. But a two-year-old boy does it, and you want to take a photo with your phone, which I do. I finish my pizza, then finish his pizza, then finish my Pepsi, and then I wait. Hey, Mikey, he likes it. I stand up, and Katie gives me a violent hug. She's the redhead in the family, and she wears it long. Though last month Ben pointed out Aunt Katie's hair is not, in fact, red and all three of us discussed the you at length. She squats down and tweaks his chin, and he stirs. Careful, I whisper. She smiles broadly. My Ben Benny Benson. Let him stay that way for a while. Finally, she stares at me, then steps back. You don't look too good, Mikey. Putting on weight. And your eyes? Thanks. 
We transfer the diaper bag, apple juice boxes, A&D diaper cream, baggies filled with Cheerios, Thomas the Tank Engine, a spare pair of shorts, and, of course, dog. So how long is he with you this time? Katie asks. A week. And she's where? Israel. Psychology seminar. Katie shakes her head. I raise a brow. Yes. Taking Benny Benson Bennington away, selfish bitch. Whoa. I glance at Ben. Easy. She sneers. Please. Aren't you pissed? I'm still hopeful. I see them to the parking lot and jog to the tower. Four minutes to shift time. As I wait for the elevator, I think back a few years. After the inaugural barbecue at my brother Tommy's, when I introduced her to the mob, Katie raved about her for days, telling me it was a redhead thing and I wouldn't understand. And it was Katie who insisted she entered the Kris Kringle lottery that Christmas, even before we married, an historic break with Yuletide Protocol. But that was then. Things have changed, and I guess that's forever, too. I keep learning new meanings of forever. Nearly all my correspondence from the FAA and NATCA is electronic, so sometimes I forget to check my slot in the row of wooden mailboxes at work. But today I do, and find a typed note that could have come from any printer. Dear shithead, you're a real pain in the ass. You're not the only father in the world, so grow a fucking pair and spare us all the bullshit with sick days. Earn your fucking pay. I crumble it and prepare a jump shot for the wastebasket, then stop. Instead, I press out the wrinkles and fold it neatly, so during my break, I can copy edit it. I realize her side has to be told as well. Of course, I never envisioned us on separate sides. I thought we'd always be just one side. Her and Ben and me. Our side. In print, as in life, people become suspicious of black and white. Flat characters can't have them. The difference between a competent psychologist and a hack lies in the shading, no? And telling all makes it at least understandable, if not forgivable. Yet, I can't tell all because I seem to be missing critical components. Actually, I didn't have a clue. I mean, of course there was arguing, but we were both groping through career adjustments, respectively finishing and starting grad school, living in a one-bedroom, eat-in kitchen with a two-year-old. Of course there was arguing. But slamming your fist down on the dining room table arguing? I'm taking Ben and moving in with my parents arguing? I'm so unhappy I can't even see staying here arguing? I can't stand to look at you anymore arguing? I've fallen out of love with you arguing? No, never. Like I said, clueless. I envisioned dying together when we both had wispy white hair. Sometimes in my dreams, I still do. I never envisioned the rancor and acrimony of the American judicial system. In fact, despite it all, I would broker a truce right now and reboot this dying marriage. As a chronicler, I know I need to tell her side. 
Staying probably wasn't easy. Leaving couldn't have been easy. Conducting this secret job search for teaching positions in other time zones, I doubt even that was easy. And deciding to separate a two-year-old from his parent, how easy is that? I'm sure she has a tale to tell. I'm sure my character comes across better on this page than it did across queen-sized Seely. Can't I step back and see things as she must have? I can't. I'm supposed to alert a U.S. Airways inbound to a Conair commuter sneaking up too quickly on his port wing. Instead, I'm fighting back tears, and for one nanosecond, the scope blurs. I breathe deep and will myself, then place my left hand over my helmet. Cactus 427, turn right, heading 070. Ma'am, you have a traffic on your 9 o'clock. LaGuardia, Cactus 427, traffic sighted. My nerve endings are more frayed than the 30-year-old equipment we rely on. Only this time, it's not Ben, or Judge Rhonda Westfall, or the New York State Supreme Court, or even her. This time, it's Dog. I'm certain Ben was dragging him this morning when we left for Stop and Shop. Then again, I'm not entirely sure. We were running late, as always, and I rushed getting him in and out of Lovey, as always. Ben was up high in the kid's throne on the shopping cart, staring at cereal boxes, when he turned to me with a strange expression. Daddy, where's Dog? A little later... After I bought him a Curious George coloring book and we loaded the groceries through the tailgate, I tore apart the second seat area. We found dirty napkins, blackened pennies, petrified French fries, dried up baby wipes, parts of Happy Meal toys, a yellow Daily News weekend kids section from 2012, two missing matchbox cars, a bowling alley pencil, and a long bolt and washer the Ford Motor Company undoubtedly believed should still be attached to a nut. No dog. There are many categories and subcategories of children's tears, including the unexpected kind, like when I accidentally mentioned dining on reindeer in Iceland, and Ben sobbed I had eaten Rudolph. I expected the loud type, wailing, ear-piercing, throat-constricting, when he eventually runs dry and sputters into red-cheeked, sniffling exhaustion. I was wrong. Ben was quite controlled. Stoic, even. He remained that way even after unloading the groceries and tearing apart the apartment. He hovered while I dumped the tall kitchen trash can onto the tiled floor, all 19 gallons. Still, he was in control. What happened instead was worse, much worse. Later, at my mom's, she was preparing grilled cheese for him, and just the way he likes it, untoasted rather than toasted. So after a minute or two under the broiler, the yellow cheese turns puffy and brown, yet the underside of the bread is soggy and doughy. I filled his sippy cup with apple juice and found him at the dining room table, tears slowly rolling down both cheeks. Buddy, I called out, and he pushed back his chair and awkwardly rushed toward me, burying his head into my belt area. I rubbed his hair and swore I'd keep searching. 
My mother said she'd call Katie and Chris since Ben had spent most of yesterday with them. I promised to retrace our steps since last night. By the time I left for work, I could barely look at Ben's face. I hugged him tightly and kissed my mother. On the way to LaGuardia, listening first to a Pearl Jam CD and then Green Day's Warning, I found myself loudly cursing. Funny how Dog and not the New York State Supreme Court ignited such anger. Jetlink 4240, descend to 25 and hold. Jetlink 4240, say again, LaGuardia. Jetlink, please take the shit out of your ears, sir. I repeat it. Jetlink 4240, descending to 35. That's 25, sir. I stare at the box of cold mushu pork and unused pancakes and hoisin sauce next to my weather charts, and I shake my head. During both breaks, I spoke to Ben, but his voice was lifeless, and he didn't even want to hear what one wall said to the other wall. Meet you at the corner. I began thinking of bizarre places to search late tonight. The car's spare tire compartment, the refrigerator's fruit crisper, my Air Force duffel bag, the Christmas decorations closet, my sock drawer, Ben's sock drawer, the bathtub, the microwave. I stare at the scope and realize I'm filling up with tears. They're not falling, but they're in the sluice. I feel them backed up the way the automatic return in a bowling alley spits balls down that long chute. What the hell? It's not just the usual stress. You know, guiding pressurized aluminum tubes safely to earth, blah, blah. No, I'd be just as rattled on an off day. I'm rattled. Rattled over whomever the hell calls himself Mike Mullen these days. I don't even know the reflection flashing back from the scope. Is it official? Have I morphed into a wuss? Is that what fatherhood does? Turn you into a wuss? Or rather, is that what it does to those who care and allow it? Lord knows my father never succumbed to wussydom. Centuries of men didn't. But it's a new era, and I'm wussifying as we speak. And am I turning Ben into a precious snowflake that won't learn to fend for himself? I was never a macho asshole. But I was never a wuss, either. I've always been a man. A guy. I've talked about the Mets with strangers. I nodded when people spoke of killing terrorists. I like airplanes and cars and gas stations and junkyards and barbecued burgers and baseball and boxing and breasts. I make no excuses for liking Family Guy and CollegeHumor.com and Austin Powers movies and Ed Norton's sewer jokes on the Honeymooners. I love the Three Stooges, provided, of course, we're not talking about Shemp or Joe Besser or that god-awful Curly Joe. I know how to curse. I like humor wrung from bodily functions. I play Sweet Child of Mine at ear-splitting volume, and I love the first beer of the night in a strange bar. I like video games in which I blow up stuff. I like watching shit thrown off roofs. I like the kick on my shoulder from firing a rifle down in Texas. I know the major players and actions in World War II. Prefer a stick to an automatic in the right car. Stop on the sidewalk to watch electric trains. And eat dirty dogs off sabret carts with sauerkraut. 
I can discuss the strengths and weaknesses of each of the Corleone brothers at length, including Tom Hagen. Obviously, I don't stop and ask for directions when I'm lost, but I also don't talk about it, which is even worse. I like High Noon from what I could follow the day Ben was born. After a week or so of showering in the same tub, I clogged the train with body hair. Now, this whole drama with her and Ben is having yet another unseen effect. It's turning me into a wuss. There's no denying I've cried more times in the last year than I have in the last ten. I may begin crying right here, here, if the first officer on board Jetlink Flight 4240 doesn't listen more closely. What the hell is this? When I was stationed in Dover, we had an airman break down in the tower one night, and it wasn't pretty. It was an all-male crew, and after they took him away, the awkward joke started. I didn't join in, primarily because, after my lost year on antidepressants, I figured, they're good for the grace, etc. Like I say, I've never been the asshole type, not in the macho sense. Even back in grammar school, I usually didn't join in on ostracizing, and at Archbishop McCarthy, I made friends with Puerto Ricans when the unwritten rule was only hang out with people whose last names start with Mick or O. In the Air Force, I took shit voting for John Kerry, and at La Garbage, I took even more shit voting for Obama. But I didn't care. No one could screw with how I handled a scope, so I never worried. Now, I'm not so sure. A damn piece of canine-shaped stuffing is about to knock me off the scopes. Wuss is way too tame. There isn't even a word strong enough to describe this state. Cactus 427 cleared for localizer, ma'am. Winds at 010 from 90. Cactus 427 cleared. I've never said it aloud, but I guess for years I haven't wanted to become one of the new dads springing up in certain neighborhoods. Okay, I'm cranky, but you know the guys. You see them in Soho or the Upper West Side, and of course in Brooklyn, and now even Queens. To me, they usually don't have any upper body development, and in fact, they always look kind of sickly. On city streets, they wear shoes that expose their toes. If they're balding by age 28, they shave their skulls. If not, they get their hair cut by girls. They probably wax away body hair and own far too many gels. They've got neat clothes and black glasses and shiny accessories and wear baby snugglies and tote around $9 coffees. They use phrases like, that feel when. They don't drive and they rarely drink alcohol other than wine and they've never clenched a fist with the intention of punching another guy. They can't jumpstart a dead battery or light a decent barbecue. They sit cross-legged with tablets on the bench at the park, occasionally telling Brandon or Caitlin or Tyler how really important it is to share, but always calmly. Their wives make more money, have more defined biceps, speak louder and more frequently at parties. Perhaps parenting itself has become another narcissistic fashion, like eating kale or organic Brussels sprouts from the food co-op. So maybe the pundits are right. Now children don't earn trophies. They are the trophies for preening parents, like me. So are those the only two choices? 
join the burgeoning army of Todd's and Cooper's and Tanner's, or crawl back into the cave with my father? Can't I live a life devoted primarily to two things? One, loving Ben, and two, loving talking to airplanes and the often shitheaded pilots who fly them. I use Tom's of Maine Whole Care Peppermint Natural Fluoride Toothpaste. It fights cavities, whitens, facilitates fresh breath, and helps fight tartar. My father brushes his teeth with baking soda. There's the divide. Jetlink 4240 cleared for localizer, sir. Winds at 010 from 90. LaGuardia Jetlink 4240. Pause. Cleared for localizer. Well, someone's listening. Affirmative, sir. I suck it up once more in this year of sucking it up and sucking it up. My definition of manhood keeps shifting, but sucking it up always seems to be an intrinsic component. When my tour finally ends, I descend the stairs and speed dial my mom. I know she's about to watch the 11 o'clock eyewitness news since she's of a generation that still accesses corporate media at Pavlovian times. Hello, Mikey. You got caller ID? Who else would it be? I lean against the pool table. How's he doing? He's out, finally. What time? About ten. Ten? Jeez. She says nothing. Did he cry again? Dog? She clucks by way of an answer. What's that mean? Look, these things happen, Mikey. Things get lost. Maybe it'll turn up. Maybe not. Say a prayer to St. Anthony. Either way, things happen. He'll be all right. I do thoughts, not prayers, I mumble, reaching back to slam the purple four ball into the pack. It's one thing to be a bigger wussy than your father. Obviously, I'm a bigger wussy than my mother to boot. So, he cried? Look, he's a kid. Kids cry, Mike. He'll be all right. I sigh. Then my mother says, She called tonight. Who? Who? Princess Di. Who else? Oh. Benji got on with her, and the next thing, he's in tears. Poor little fella. Telling her all about it. Uh-huh. Then he says she wants to speak to me. And? And so she asks me what happened to the dog. I said I didn't know. So she hung up. Very pleasant girl you picked. I'm on my way. You need anything? She chuckles. Just that dog. I slot out a 16-ounce Pepsi and Doritos, neither of which I should consume, as Mayor Bloomberg would happily point out to all wussies within earshot. I'm thinking, even though it's dark, I could drive the wagon over to the civilian parking lot where there's lots of light and tear apart that second seat again. I may have missed something. So I munch and drink and strategize. Replacing dog, by the way, just isn't an option. Two years ago, I came out of City Field for the first time after they raised Shay and walked with Sam to his car, parked in Corona. It was a hot afternoon, and street vendors had set up shop right on Roosevelt Avenue. A dreadlocked Rasta type working out of a Chevy van was pushing the saddest-looking collection of stuffed this and sewn that. Ben had just played with Gretchen, 
a neighbor's yellow lab, so I grabbed the nearest mutt and gave the rast of one buck. Right now, I'd easily pay a hundred bucks for dog. More. Finally, I head out. The last departure is all pushed back, and the airport is nearly empty. That's why it's a shock to see anyone standing at the fence behind the ominous warning, U.S. government property, no trespassing. Especially my sister Katie. I step through the gate. What? Hey, Mikey. What? You okay? What? Everything? She smiles. Calm down. You drive from the city? Katie nods. Where's Chris? Home. She comes close and hugs. How you doing? I'm fine. I, I mean, what? I look at my watch. 23-22. It's after 11. I spoke to Eileen before. Yeah. I ran into a friend, needed a lift to Queens, figured I'd drop him off here. I just stare. Katie's smile grows wider as she reaches into what I now realize is too large a bag for a late-night jaunt. Her right hand holds him by both tattered ears. Dog! I exclaim. It frightens me how quickly it occurs. I hadn't felt it coming, and I didn't even know it was in me. But tears burst forth, not flowing, but gushing. I let out a self-conscious cry that's meant to be a laugh, but betrays my relief and gratitude. Katie seems fascinated, and her eyes light up. Look at you. Shit. All at once, I'm wiping awkwardly at my face, grabbing Dog by his hind legs, and hugging Katie in thanks. Shit. Mikey, look at you. She steps back to see me anew. Now I get it. I breathe deeply. Get what? Ben Benny Benson. He drags Dog around, pretending he's his. Turns out, he's yours. Ben is your beard. Who the hell knew? I snort, laugh, cry in response. It's okay, Mikey. I won't tell. I rub my face dry and raw. I'm a wuss. Katie's smile fades. What? I'm a freaking pussy. What's that supposed to mean? As usual, I flash on my father. Can you picture Tom, I mean, crying over dog? No. Suddenly, her voice is angry. But I can picture him beating the hell out of Benji with his belt, strap end, buckle end. I nod. To change the subject, I hold up dog. Where was he? Trunk of my car. Put him in yesterday. Bennington and I were at the mall. We didn't want to lose him. Thanks. Listen, cut the shit. What's with the pussy stuff? I shrug. I don't know. What? You serious? My legs are heavy, and I lean against the fence. Look, this whole thing. The whole thing. With her. I don't know. I was just so... Blindsided. I still can't believe it. All I want... All I want to do is be a good father. I stop because the door opens, but it's a guard. All the controllers from my shift long ago followed the Grand Central Parkway to where the lampposts turn from metal to wood and it's the Northern State Parkway, guiding them right to their Long Island split levels. 
The older ones are in Nassau County, the younger ones in cheaper houses further out in Suffolk County. I'm, I don't know. I feel like the older Ben gets, the weaker I get. Katie shakes her head. Boy, you're a freaking knucklehead. She hugs me, then gently slaps my temple. Wacko, you've never been so strong in your whole stupid, lousy life. Then she adds, now stay strong. I walk her to her car and pay for the parking. Later that night, I tell my mother to wake me before she leaves for early mass. I want to watch Ben when he first stirs in the morning. I've got to be there when he sees who's resting on the blue pillow beside him. It's the last week of summer vacation, my last week with Ben. But back at our apartment, I find he's become sick, hot to the touch. His forehead singes my hand. The damp washcloths keep sliding down over his eyebrows. I crowd into his toddler bed, my arm across his thin, beating chest. By morning, the fever breaks, and he wants mini-bagel pizzas for breakfast. And then, finally, the summer is just Ben and me. She's gone ahead to set up their new apartment, some unknown academic supposedly driving her. The rabbi's wife, soon my ex-mother-in-law, is afraid to fly, so she'll Amtrak Ben to his new home. Working backwards and accounting for all the connections, they'll depart Penn Station at 5 a.m. on Labor Day. I'm not up for driving them to Penn. I consider dialing 718-441-1111, but several friends and three local siblings volunteer to take us. I let my oldest brother do it. I sit in the back of Tommy's Chevy Tahoe, the one he uses for work, with my arm wrapped around the car seat. It's chilly. Summer is ending fast. The horizon is black, but Ben is awake and humming softly. He wants to know what color the Queen's Midtown Tunnel is. Over the past few weeks, I've spent hours speaking long distance to Annabelle, my mentor from Queen's College. We've remained friends in part because she always thought I was an odd combination. A would-be air traffic controller interested in shrinking the heads of other controllers. Now she's teaching psychology in Rhode Island, and I've abused her hospitality by calling repeatedly. Because she's black, Ben once rubbed his face with his hand and asked why some people's cheeks are dark. Annabelle gives great suggestions. A Disney car's knapsack that serves as an object of transference. The idea is when he carries it, he's carrying around a piece of you-know-who. Inside is a photo album, and every picture is of Ben with paternal relatives. Stamped, self-addressed envelopes to send me his drawings. A framed portrait for his bedside. Daddy and me. A Fisher-Price tape recorder so I can send him recordings of myself. Talking, laughing, Irish lullabies. Ben's wearing the knapsack when our echoing footsteps ring out across Penn Station. Tommy does what he's come to do and takes her mother off for coffee. There's nothing but empty benches at this hour on a holiday. I sit down alone with my son. The object of transference is working all too well. He'd rather devote his attention to it 
than to the person it represents. Fathers and sons. Buddy, I say softly, I want to talk. He shakes the new tape recorder. You bought the red one. You have to go on the train to see mommy. My sentences come in short staccato bursts. I'm breathing deeply in between the syllables. And don't forget, I'm coming to see you real soon. He punches at the recorder's bright yellow buttons. I'm coming soon on the airplane. The blue airplane? Uh-huh. Blue. Real soon. I'll be coming. The pain in my chest feels acute enough to warrant a hospital bracelet. He looks at me. I'm going to carry this. It's mine. I nod. I love you more than anything. He hits the play and rewind buttons simultaneously, and the machine emits a screeching sound of metal on metal. I wince. More than anything, buddy. Ben slaps at the Fisher-Price logo. I wish I could go with you. To Indiana? The brown house? With mommy? I nod. First, Washington. Then another train. Then Chicago. Then another train. Then Indiana. I reach out and hug him close, even though he's struggling. I put my mouth close to his ear to sing. In Dublin's fair city, he shakes his head as if in response to a question. I don't have a doopy diaper. That's good. Me either. I'm coming soon to visit. You coming now? I can't. I have work and school this week. At the NYU? I nod. At the NYU. My brother is there, and her mother, and the white-haired porter Tommy tipped excessively, pushing a metal cart. He lets Ben ride on top of suitcases, and he lets me accompany them to the platform. My last hug is suffocating, and probably too tight. I kiss Ben's forehead and both his cheeks. Bye, Benji. I brush at his yellow hair, straighten his blue shirt, pat his red tape recorder. Be good and be happy. You're my favorite, buddy. He squirms away, then runs ahead of his grandmother. They board, and I watch him race down the aisle. He picks a window seat in front of me, and I stand on the platform and rap at the glass. He's almost three, so he's on the far side of enjoying a good round of peekaboo but he gives in, maybe for my sake. I know even now reminders of shared moments will crowd my autumn. A commercial for the crudes, spotting a box of mini bagel pizzas in frozen foods, a miniature Thomas the Tank Engine popping out as a car wash attendant vacuums. Then her mother lifts him up and they move to the far side of the aisle. I can barely see him through the glass. I pantomime a shrugged shoulders, questioning look at her. She yells, B 
there will be New Jersey farms on that side of the train. I shake my head. Ben has thrown his knapsack onto the floor and is carefully ripping an emergency evacuation card into semi-even strips. Somebody cries out, All aboard! in that laughably anachronistic diction, as if it weren't 2013, as if the country still traveled by rail. Norman Rockwell fathers waving sons off to college, jobs in the city, troop ships bound for the front. I'm in a time capsule buried under the new Madison Square Garden. I love you, buddy, I mouth through the colorless glass. Ben leans into her mother's shoulder and refuses to sit with his legs in front of him. They're arguing like an old married couple. My last image is of him pulling on the fold-down tray table. The front end of the train must be approaching Newark before I stop peering down the tracks. And then all there is to do is turn and go up the escalator, passing gray walls and ceilings, neither black nor white, all shading. The rest of a life is awaiting. According to the Aetna Health Fund tables I've been sent by my union rep, I still have another 52 or 56 years to live.